scope and job security in particular is a subject that the pilots have spoken so clearly on for such a long time that it's a priority to the Alaska pilots. Always has been. You're listening to the Alaska Pilots Podcast. Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. Today, we're going to be talking exclusively about scope. And to do that, I brought in a few subject matter experts and some of our professional legal staff, and I'll be introducing them. Uh, To start with, we have Will McQuillan, our MEC Chairman, Chris Gruner, Negotiating Committee Chairman, and we brought in another subject matter expert, John Slaus, who is the Scope Co-Chair and Alliance Chairman. John, thanks for coming in. Thank you, David. And from our professional staff, Zach Hennigy is our Senior Labor Relations Counsel. He's been on a number of our podcast episodes before. Zach, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. And Bruce York, who is ALPA's Chief Negotiator and Senior Advisor. Thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate your time here today. My pleasure. Scope has been identified as a priority, and hopefully all of you listening have had a chance to watch the animated video that was published a little while ago. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to do so before listening to the rest of this podcast episode. There's a link to it in the show notes, or you could find it at alaskapilots.org. Go to the members homepage and there's a button that will lead you to the the video. So, Will, what is it you hope folks come away with from having watched that video? Well, I, I think hopefully a comprehensive understanding of why scope is important and what we are trying to achieve at the bargaining table on behalf of the Alaska pilots. As you said, the video hit the main points, and I really do hope that everybody takes the time to go watch. Um, It's important to fully understand the elements of scope when we vote on this next contract. And the goal of this podcast is, of course, to go into more detail and give everybody a better understanding of each of those elements. Um, I will say that I'm very, very proud of the work that the team put into that video because it does do a good job of breaking down a complex subject. And, and you know, that's the goal here, to help our pilots understand the subject comprehensively and also come away understanding why it's so important to our pilot group and to our careers. I think that the scope and job security in particular is a subject that the pilots have spoken so clearly on for such a long time that it, it's a priority to the Alaska pilots, always has been for just about every bargaining cycle that I've been here for. And certainly as I look around the room, I know for every bargaining cycle that we've all been here for. And you know, how do we know this? I think it's easy because every survey tells us our polling, which is highly scientific and very, very accurate, the uh, one-on-one discussions that the pilots have with their LEC representatives. And then you know, most recently here, a lot of the, uh, the coffee sits. We've had the opportunity to go out and talk to pilots. And one of the things we ask them is, you know, what are your priorities in this next contract? And unequivocally, we get some version of job security scope, uh, even if the pilot has a, a very personalized meaning of what that, what that is to them. You know, and that's our goal here is to educate people on the comprehensive subject. It's a, it is a priority. And then, I mean, certainly if you go back, I think the company should know that it's a priority as well. Back in Flight Path, when they held those word salad exercises, scope came up time and time again as one of the largest subjects. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate that I really appreciate everybody's uh, willingness to participate in the polling that we've been doing. It's incredibly helpful to, again, to see the consistency that we've seen over the years now on uh, what your priorities are. And on the negotiating committee, we take it very seriously to take your priorities again and then move those forward. And Will, you mentioned that it's a priority, you know, when we're looking at scope. 
I push even a little bit harder because, you know, when we're looking at organizing uh, our negotiations, scope and work rules are at the top there for a reason. I, I'd say this is essential to make sure uh, that we have a contract that's ratifiable. It forward. is absolutely the foundation of a ratifiable deal. And that messaging has been clear from the pilots. And that messaging has been very clear from me and from your committee as well to the company. Yeah, and Chris, I'll reiterate something that you just said, but it was a little subtle scope and work rules are, are a priority. Today, we're going to be talking about scope, but that is not to imply that that is the only priority. There's other things in the contract that you're working on, right? Right. Just like we've been telling you, we're working towards a comprehensive agreement that uh, values your work appropriately based on what you have told us. And so this is a key component of that, but again, not the only component. John, again, thanks for coming in. Would you tell us broadly what scope does for us? Well, when I look at scope, I think of uh, protecting my career and having career insurance. It's a broad topic. There's several aspects of job security, and that's really the best way to look at scope. Think of it as job security. And we've invested a lot in our careers, and protecting our careers is an important element. So the different topics that we will discuss with the company cover the different aspects of protecting our career. If it's our flying, if it's what happens with the company, if there are future mergers, these sorts of things. And that's why it's such an important topic and an important thing to have in our contract. John, I like that analogy of career insurance. Can you flesh that out a little bit more? I mean, you get in your car, you rent a car, you buy a car and you have car insurance and you feel safe that you're protected if something happens. You might not remember your deductible. You might not remember if it's a collision or if it's a comprehensive or if it's whatever the case may be. You just know you're protected. You've got you've got limited exposure to what's going to happen to you financially if something happens on the road. That's what this is all about. And you can pick all the different aspects of the profession and how the network is created and, and what's being done and where the passengers go. But there's an element in there that's ours. And that needs to be protected to be ours. It can't be diminished by other people taking it away. Chris, would you fill us in on where you are in the negotiations right now and broadly and then how it relates to scope? Yeah, you bet. So uh, like we've been reporting to you, we've been dealing with a lot of the uh, lower tier issues, just issues that aren't cornerstones, right? Still very important to make sure we're moving through. And right now we've gotten those about as far as they're going to go for the time being. So we're shifting our focus again to those bigger issues, looking at uh, work rules and scope, like I just mentioned and uh, really spending a lot of time to move those complex issues forward in a, a way that achieves our objectives. Uh, along those lines, you know, when we talk about scope, this is something that does need to be tailored to the company's business plan. So there are very important components and higher level uh, issues that we need to make sure we're solving for, but there's not a cookie cutter approach per se to how we do this. I mean, there's definitely things we can look at, go back to and, and use to inform our negotiating moving forward, but we're still gonna uh, you know, adjust it based on what the plans are for our company moving forward. Because what we don't wanna do is hinder their ability to compete, right? If we have a strong company, then we're able to have a strong pilot group. But what we do want to do is when that company, our company is competing and is getting stronger and is making money, right? We wanna be a part of that success. So when we're looking at scope, uh, that's a key component there. And I think something very important to understand is, again, it's not to hinder uh, the company's business plan or ability to compete. 
it is to make sure that pilots are brought along uh, with the success of the company. Again, as you look around the industry, and, and John, you mentioned this, but uh, other contracts have already addressed this pretty robustly. I mean, this is a key component, and it's not just something that you know the pilots have you know, thrown out there and it just happened, right? This is something that the management of these other pilot groups have agreed to, mutually agreed to in a contract, and have recognized that there is value in making sure that pilots have job security and assurances. And when we look back again and uh, we come to this company with years and years of training already under our belt, right? We, we invest in this company for the long term, like our careers and our families and everything else are vested into the success of this company. We want to make sure that we have assurances we are, again, part of that success. John, you study these around the industry. How do provisions that Chris just mentioned work around the industry? Well, Chris mentioned how scope is individual to each carrier, right? Each airline has its own network and route system, maybe their own code share partners, their own alliances that they're all involved in. And so the, the, the job security provisions for the pilots at each one of those airlines is tailored for that network. And that's how we're approaching it here. We want to tailor it for the Alaska Airlines role in the network that they've created and that we come along with that. And that's how those work at other carriers. Some of them uh, focus on the global aspects of things. Some of them focus on the local network, uh, a Hawaiian, if the inner island type of operation that they have is a concern to their pilots, and that's something that it stresses in their scope, scope language. So our proposal is to make sure that our company grows and that we grow along with that network growth. Yeah, I think, you know, to your point, these are provisions that are already in place at these other carriers, and it's doing both. It's providing job security for pilots and allowing the company to execute on its business. Exactly. And every one of those airlines is a little bit different in how they approach how they fill out their network. Some airlines use capacity purchase agreements, which is the kind of flying that Horizon or SkyWest does as branded Alaska flying. Some airlines uh, don't use that model. A Southwest doesn't use that model or JetBlue doesn't use that model, but Alaska, American, Delta, United, and Hawaiian do use that model. They do take that flow from secondary cities into their hubs, build the network, and have a larger presence around their network, right? There's secondary cities that may not support a mainline service that are, it's important to draw in those passengers into our network. If we don't try to go after those passengers, they're going to go to another airline. They're going to go to another network. So there's a value added to the small cities that are flown to with smaller aircraft. That's all well and good. But when that comes to the mainline, the mainline pilots fly it. And as the mainline grows, we need to be part of that growth. And Bruce, you've actually been involved in negotiating some of these provisions John's talking about. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, uh, thanks, David. And uh, I knew one of you, uh, my dear colleagues, would force me to admit that I've been involved in this world and doing these things since they started being negotiated in the early 1980s in, in some meaningful way. And that is really the way they have been negotiated. And Chris and John are correct. Those ne- negotiations typically look at what the company's plans are, what the company's operation is, what its strategic direction is, and try and balance the company's direction and efforts and operations with 
protection for the security of pilots that are working there, rather than just allow that to go without a discussion. So it's always a, a negotiation. It always tries to accommodate both uh, legitimate company interests and contributions to the system that the company is operating, but also pilot interests and long-term career security as well, and to ensure that along with company success and growth, pilots are participating in that growth and success. Chris, you filled us in on what you've covered to date with the negotiations. What's next for you as it relates to scope? Yeah, so David, um, we have our comprehensive openers, right, that we uh, handed out that explain our opening proposal uh, for scope. And we're going to get into more detail on that here shortly. But the bottom line is we've already handed the company a comprehensive proposal on scope, and they balance both the company's plans and our legitimate career security interests that you have identified as being out of balance and something that we need to address. So like other parts of uh, negotiations, like we talked about, you know, there's the three of us on the negotiating committee, myself, Drew York, and Rob Casey, that get our direction from the MEC, obviously, as they're listening to you. And and then we go and advance your interests at the table. Uh, we have a lot of help on moving that stuff along. So again, uh, from a process point of view, not a substance point of view, but a process point of view, we've got a lot of help from uh, Zach Hennigy you've been listening to, uh, Bruce York, who has years of experience negotiating scope and other contracts. And then we also have uh, outside counsel. He's not on the podcast today, but Michael Winston. Um, this is a very technical language to get this right and make sure it's done correctly. So we want to make sure that we're very careful and using a lot of experienced professionals to make sure that it's done correctly and achieves the goals that you expect it to achieve. Yeah, I think that's important to know. You know, I've, I've been involved, gosh, 20 years or so off and on with Alpa work. And a perennial question is, why are we sending pilots to do these negotiations? Why don't we have professional negotiators? And I mean, I could really do an entire podcast episode on that notion. But briefly, I'll say that we do, you know, and there two of them are at the table right now. And maybe I'll take a little bit of time to introduce them more fully or, or let them do it themselves. So, Zach, fill us in on your background, how, how you came to be here. Thanks, David. I've been uh, representing unions or employees in one way or another for, for almost two decades, involved in contract negotiations and litigation. It's interesting, uh, as John had mentioned, the insurance aspect of you never know when you're going to need good scope protection. It's not something you think about every day. And in my career, it's not something that comes up all the time. But without fail, some company tries to get a little aggressive and they, they start to think about the, the benefits that they're giving their employees. And and from time to time, these recognition fights come up. And uh, it's incredibly important to have the protections that the, like we have them in ours at the beginning of the contract and for us to fight for additional protections. I don't know if everyone understands this, but you're basically assigned to the Alaska MEC pilot group, right? Absolutely. That's my primary focus. It's been great working with the negotiating committee. Uh, you mentioned the back and forth about sometimes people wonder why the pilots are negotiating. And, and I've seen it work both ways where, uh, you know, I've been the lead negotiator for, uh, for different unions and different clients. But I have to say that I prefer it when the people that are actually doing the work, their understanding of the problems and what goes into a good contract and one that they're going to you know, have to live with. To me, that makes, makes for a better process. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there is another model for this where in other labor groups where the actual workers aren't part of it and it gets negotiated and then it's here you go. What do you think? And I, 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 I'm glad that I'm glad we have professionals that are there and I'm glad that there are pilots there who understand what it means 
to for fatigue issues and for scheduling issues and, and all of this. It's it's great that a pilot who's going to have to live that work rule is at the table. Absolutely. Um, Bruce, and you know, you've got, a, as you said, you started, I mean, you've been doing this for a while and I, I, I don't mean to say how old you are and give that away, but you do bring a wealth of experience. And you mentioned the 80s and, and John mentioned this the other day to me in, in a conversation. There weren't a lot of scope language back then because the airline industry was a little bit different. And so you've been at really ground zero from these negotiations. But if you don't mind, give us some of your background so people understand what, what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, sure, David. I actually uh, started working at Alpa in 1979 while I was finishing law school in Washington, D.C. and started working full-time in 1980. And that really is when scope clauses started to take shape based on deregulation and the different things that were happening in the airline industry. I've been at Alpa from that time. I I took 10 years out to run a large entertainment union of broadcasters, actors, and recording artists and sat across the table from Hollywood studios and record labels and broadcast stations and networks, uh, and then came back to Alpa in 2000. So it's about 40 years of uh, negotiating experience and about a thousand contracts negotiations that I've participated in or led or been the chief spokesperson in. And I think when folks, we don't call ourselves all the time professional negotiators, but that's that's my career. And I've, in fact, consulted with Qantas pilots on job security and scope negotiations and took a number of trips to, uh, to Australia to work with them as an outside consultant on it. So we really enjoy the model that we use, which is work working hand in hand with pilots who make decisions about their own futures, hopefully with good, solid advice and experience that that we help provide. And the last thing I'll say is, and uh, Chris mentioned, I've worked with Michael Winston for better part of 20, 25 years. Uh, and uh, his firm and others in his firm. So um, we think it's a, a wealth of knowledge and experience. We think it's helpful to work in the way that we do, and we're looking forward to making progress in this negotiation as we have in many others. And Bruce, Michael Winston brings a particular skill set to this, as I recall, right? Can you explain that some more? Yeah, Michael is a very um, capable, thoughtful, smart, detail-oriented lawyer. And when, just like pilots, I think, flying a trip where you have more than one set of eyes or one hand on the control, we think it's really helpful as folks who've been doing this work for a long time to have the view of others who have been doing it for a long time and really backstop each other, look at language, bounce it off each other, and make sure we have the words that we want to use correct. So Michael goes back a long time, has a lot of experience, participated in many of the different scope negotiations with other members of his firm and colleagues and Alpa staff, but he works in a firm outside of Alpa and has his own perspective and view. And it's 
It's just we think helpful to have experienced different views and make sure the approach we're using is is a solid one. And like anything, this will be a negotiation. There will be different ideas that we'll have to consider. There are different solutions to common problems. And we just want to make sure that when we go down a pathway, all of us think it makes sense. Well, thanks for those explanations. I, I, I feel, I mean, I interacted with you, both of you for a number of years, and I have a lot of confidence in, in your ability. I think we're in good hands between our, our legal staff and also the pilots that we've sent to do this work. And speaking of the work, let's, let's talk about more of the details of, about what scope means, what a, what a modern scope language involves. And as you've seen, hopefully now in the animated video, we've divided all of what we're talking about as needed in scope into three areas, protect current flying, provide opportunity for growth and prepare for the unexpected. So Zach, if you could, let's flesh out each of those and starting with protect current flying. Thanks, David. Yeah, the, the, you know, we put a lot of work into the proposal. As uh, you mentioned earlier, this isn't a cookie cutter type of situation, but we pulled from other, you know, examples in the industry and we did tailor it to the Alaska Airlines company. You see in the video, the first tenant, there's the protect, and that's the secure and protect current Alaska Airlines pilot flying. And we kind of break that into a few, few categories. First, this isn't an immediate concern, but we see it. And, uh, we want to clarify basic scope language and add a minimum crew complement of two pilots. That's a safety issue, and um, you know all the pilots seem to understand that, and that's not too too complicated. Another you know another aspect that we're trying to protect the flying, the pilot flying, is uh, we want to prevent the the Alaska Air Group from creating a lower cost alter ego airlines that do the work. The big picture here is that we do all the flying. The pilots, you know, have dedicated their careers to this company. And, um, you know, we're, we're okay with allowing a few exceptions, but we've seen examples in the past where companies shift the work. And I think, John, you've got great history on some of this stuff. And is there an example of that that you could point to? Well, I think the, I think the best example of that, Zach, is, uh, and for the Alaska pilots who have been around a while, you know, you can look to north of the border in WestJet, a fellow Alpa carrier flying out of Calgary, one of our former executives went to work at WestJet to become their CEO. And they reached a time where they wanted to do some new flying and it exceeded the range of the 737 that they were doing at WestJet. So they subcontracted with outside carriers to fly 767s to Hawaii. Okay, so it was a WestJet flight according to WestJet reservations and marketing but it wasn't flown by WestJet pilots. It was outsourced to another company who was brought in to do the flying on behalf of WestJet. And so think of, think of all of a sudden our Hawaii flying, there's need for more capacity, a bigger aircraft or something new the company wants to try and subcontracting a bigger aircraft to come in on behalf of Alaska Airlines to do that flying. Yeah, exactly. So the, the idea here is to prevent the air group from setting up these different entities that are going to shift the work. There are instances where an alter ego might make sense for a company to protect assets or limit liability, um, but our scope proposal would prohibit them from shifting work. It's basically them avoiding giving the pilots uh, the protections of the rest of the contract. And so this is a, an integral and key component to the, the scope proposal. And I know something that, you know, that what we often hear on the on the line that everyone thinks of when they think of scope is the uh, 76 seats and the 86,000 pounds. And of course, our scope proposal, despite assurance 
expenses that we may have received from the company in the past will solidify the limits here. This is obviously important to everybody. Again, this isn't something that is meant to to prohibit growth, but our proposal will ensure that if there is increased smaller jets, there will be an increase in the Alaska Airline pilot flying as well. David, Zach's exactly right. Our approach is to say we do all this work unless we've carved out pieces that contribute to the company and that don't threaten our security. So one way of thinking about it that that might be useful is thinking about it if you were a franchise owner of McDonald's or Subway or Jiffy Lube. If you were a franchise owner of one of those outlets, the thing you would bargain hardest over is the territory that your franchise serves because you want to be the exclusive provider of that franchise in that territory. And your franchise wouldn't be worth that much if McDonald's or Jiffy Lube or Subway could put another outlet up a half a mile from yours. It would be less valuable. And in that way, you know, we talk about flying that the air group does as being something we want to do, of course. And if someone else can do it, the contract that we negotiate, the rates, the benefits, the work rules are less valuable if there's less work under it. So it's a pretty natural thing. The difficulty always, David, is balancing, as we always do and other companies do and other pilot groups do, balancing uh, legitimate opportunities for the company to expand and grow and feed people into its system and our own interests in, in being secure in our own career and have as much flying as is possible. So I hope that's helpful. I think it is. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Zach, the second pillar that we describe is providing opportunity for growth. What does that mean? Following up on Bruce mentioning opportunities and providing opportunities, we're not against that. We want the company to be successful, but we got to make sure that the future flying isn't diminished for the Alaska Airlines pilots um, and they share in the uh, in those growth opportunities. So in our proposal, you'll see that we don't prohibit code share agreements. Um, we permit those uh, with other carriers, but if the other carrier is going to increase in the work that they're performing, whether it's seat miles, city pairs, block hours, there's going to be a comparable increase for the Alaska Airline pilots. That's critical to the system that we're creating. But there are limitations on the on how the growth occurs. For instance, if the company were to want to enter into a joint venture agreement, our scope proposal specifically prohibits that. Those are complex and we'd want the company to come to us and get an agreement with ALPA before moving forward with any kind of a joint venture agreement. You know, you've heard repeatedly that the whole idea behind the scope proposal is that we do all the flying with exceptions and, and we, we recognize an exception for mergers and acquisitions. The point here though is to protect the Alaska Airline pilots and making sure that their benefits under the contract are not diminished while going through the process. and. Um, prohibit the company from, you know, using the, the merger as an opportunity to disadvantage the, the pilots. And we have a pretty lengthy framework detailed in our scope proposal to provide those protections. A way of thinking about it, again, is everything we do conceptually and technically on the language is designed to make sure that whatever those corporate transaction or decisions are, we participate in a way that's positive. All right, and that third pillar is preparing for the unexpected. What what might we expect, so to speak, from that? Yeah, that's the one that's hard to answer, David. You know, the trouble is you're trying to anticipate things which are 
unusual or unexpected uh, in the regular course of business. But our scope proposal tries to do that nonetheless. So there have been in history certainly partial sales of airlines and our proposal talks about providing senior you know opportunities for pilots in the order of seniority it talks about the company in theory establishing a foreign base and making sure our current regulatory uh, environment carries over uh, under the Railway Labor Act. Obviously, we have some experience with furloughs, and our proposal talks about offering furloughed pilots opportunities at their affiliates, whether that's Horizon or SkyWest. So again, there could be positive developments that we can't anticipate. There could be negative developments. But in either case, our proposal essentially gives us or tries to give us a seat at the table, gives us opportunities protects Alaska pilots no matter what happens. That's good to know. Thank you. Will, before we wrap this up completely, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, Yeah, definitely, David. Thank you. I think the most important thing that I can stress has already been said, which is that comprehensive scope is absolutely critical to protecting each and every one of our careers here at Alaska. And that's regardless of where you're based, regardless of where you fall on the seniority list. It's an important topic. It's important to our careers. And when you fly with another pilot who seems to have questions or perhaps has a a more narrow focus when it comes to scope, I'd say please take the time to encourage them to watch the video, listen to this podcast, and as always, reach out to their reps. Because uh, in the end, protecting your careers with like meaningful scope protection, like we're talking about all day here, is a priority of your MEC because you've told us that it's a priority for you. And those conversations have simply got to continue. So as always, I'll close with a a huge thanks to this pilot group for remaining engaged, demonstrating such strong unity and support for your negotiating committee and the MEC. I mean, that that unity underpins everything we do. Thanks for those thoughts, Will. And for those of our listeners, this won't be the last time that we talk about scope. There is a a lot to cover, and it's really important, I think, that everyone has a, a a decent understanding of it and understands what the negotiating committee is trying to achieve on our behalf. And one of the ways that we'll be communicating that is coming out to you. And we've got some innovative ways to hit the road and come to where the pilots and their families are. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I'm excited to be bringing that to you in the, in the very near future. And if you have questions that come up, email those to us and, and we'll get those answered for you. And the best way to do that is to send them to alacoms at alpa.org. That's A-L-A-C-O-M-M-S at alpa.org. Well, I'd like to thank you for listening. This concludes another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I've been your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. 